Today is week three of Missions Month, and then we started with first week or mission for everyone. Uh, last week, uh, Wade spoke on mission for the untr- unreached. Uh, today is mission for the marginalized. I think it's it's wonderful to to really revisit. Um, about these passages, especially I am moved by God's heart. And just going through the passages has been really helpful. And my prayer for today is that, uh, that I, uh, we, we would just feel God's compassion as we're going through this. Let's start with this idea. Who are we referring to when we say marginalized? And of course, there are uh, people who are in this situation and that situation. But if you look through the scriptures with open eyes, not skipping over, not paying attention to the, the passages you like, that you will inevitably catch God's heart for these two, four types of people. First one is widow. And we have some single moms in our church as well. But in our days, the single moms can work and support themselves. Uh, very capable. But in back in the days, widows were defenseless. Widows were not only poor, but could not access to any kind of living, um, practical ways to, to earn their living. So obviously, they were vulnerable, defenseless, and they were abused and used by many, especially the rich, um, and even our days now, the single moms go through so much of uh, hidden struggles and pain, and nobody knows deeply how, not just the loneliness, but the dif- daily difficulty of the living, everyday life. Without our, our help, they could be also very defenseless and, and vulnerable as well. Obviously, secondly, the orphans, the fatherless. Fatherless are the ones that who do not have anyone to speak for themselves, uh, speak for them, or defend them, provide for them. So fatherless, orphans are always on God's heart. And thirdly, ESV's language will be the sojourners. Uh, foreigners, the resident aliens, strangers, all those are synonym. Coming from one word, Hebrew word, translated in different English word. The sojourners were always with the Israelites, the Hebrew. And God's heart for sojourners was so evident, you cannot miss it. 
And the fourth and last category is the poor. But actually, those top three groups of people, the types of people, are constantly mentioned, especially when Israel has gone astray from God and they are doing the evil things and the idolatries. When those things are happening, God always brings those three types of people. Because the injustice was happening to the widows and to the fatherless and to the sojourners. But the word, the poor, constantly mentioned throughout the Bible. I think the, the bigger umbrella, widow, fatherless, and sojourners are all the poor. There isn't separate category. But just for us to pay attention to that, I'm giving you four types. I want to keep this message very simple and to the point. And instead of a lot of uh, different ways of explaining things, let's hear what God says, what the scripture says about these people. Let's start with the Old Testament, Zechariah 7, 9 through 10. Thus says the Lord of the hosts, render true judgment, show kindness and mercy to one another, do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. Jeremiah 22, verse 3. Thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness. And deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. And do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. Couple more. I have too many. I would like to include a few more, but it's just too many verses. Um, Psalm 146, verse 9. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. In Exodus 22, we remember this particular verses because of our Exodus study. It's such a vivid expression of God's compassion, quite God's righteous anger that we ought to feel for these four types of people. Verse 21 of Exodus 22. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you are sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do, not, if you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall become widows, and your children fatherless. Wow. Let's go to the New Testament. Just a few verses on something. 
James chapter 1, verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God and the, God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained, unstained from the world. Galatians 2.10. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Galatians 2.10's context is this. Um, Apostle Paul is being recognized that God has given, them, given him special grace and called him as an apostle for the Gentiles. And the people who are uh, core leaders of the Jerusalem church, James, John, and Peter, Simon Peter, is blessing him. You go do it. And just remember for the poor. Because Jerusalem uh, was stricken by the famine and they really needed help. And as we all know, part of uh, Apostle Paul's missionary journey was collecting offerings, giving, love, love gifts from the various churches in in the Gentile churches for, for Jerusalem. And he was already eager to do it. Acts 6, 1, this is the beginning of the very first church movement. And as they share their goods and their common communal life together, their key ministry was distributing food, daily needs for the widows. But there are two different types of people. Uh, people who are Hebrew origin, the, the old uh, OG Jerusalem Hebrews. And another side is Hellenist, which are more Greek, uh, cultured uh, Jews who are, who are there. And then this uh, good problem came basically... Um, as they are doing that ministry, the Hellenist widows were obviously neglected. But the key point that I'm making from here is that was ongoing ministry. Apostles were so involved in it and to a point that bit this incident actually triggered them to delegate what they know, what, what we now call as deacons, the leaders of the church so that apostles can pay attention to the teaching of the word and prayer. Let's read verse 1 together. Now, now in these days, when the, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily, daily distribution. Okay, lastly, Matthew 25, 35 to 40. None other than Jesus, our Lord himself. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you, you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in 
prison and you came to me. And verse 40 here ends with, The king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Here's a question for us to ponder. How did you miss it? How do we miss God's compassion on this? These people. How did American evangelical churches become so obsessed about being prosperous on our own in our suburban cities? God have mercy on us. Anytime people of God, Israelites, were drifted away from God, the neglect and abusiveness of these injustices were being done to these four types of people. People of God, we are in the edge of Santa Ana and Tustin. Technically, we are still in Tustin. I mean, Santa Ana. Address-wise. Do you know that five freeway, I thought about this whenever I go to see some pastors and some meetings, uh, kid works and whatnot. How many times do I cross over that five freeway to the west? Probably about less than 5%. 95% of that, or at, at, at the same time, but when I visit uh, I mean, for good, good lunch or coffee. <laughs> Other than that, I stay on 55 East Side. There are people who are, who are, of course, people who are gang members, people who are poor, people who, one apartment, three families live together, things that are going on right now. We cannot turn away from that. Another thing is we cannot be overwhelmed. Oh, there's nothing we can do. Do you know that over the course of our church, uh, during even Sundays, some homeless people, some couples come in? And just a few weeks ago, I saw Taco sitting with this young couple who is just smelly. You could feel that uh, they, they slept in the streets somewhere. And I remember this young man who used to be Olive Crest kid has grown up, but he became homeless, and he was just walking around. The scripture must not be used like a, the way we use fridge. You open it and take what you want. What you do not like, you don't even touch it and close it. And today, in light of Syrian refugee crisis, global crisis, in light of 
all the chaos going on because of political uh, tensions and policies about immigration and whatnot. Among the marginalized, I want to just focus on the refugees uh, just a little bit. And we're going to go back to the deeper application for the entire three. But let's start with this. Um, Matthew Sorens, the author of Seeking Refuge on the Shores of the Global Refugee Crisis. Uh, we heard about this book. There was a book event. And Wade, Michelle, uh, Michelle Kim, and I had a privilege to go there and listen to him directly, which really was uh, at the embarking of God's provision for starting our refugee ministry, partnering with uh, World Relief as well. So because of that, we started GNT last year, and we are ongoing and hope to even increase our participation involvement in that. But some of the facts here, he quotes uh, Lifeway research survey polling. And uh, at the end of that, if you uh, go to that site, I, I, it just had, I found, a, uh, found a link to that uh, survey directly and results. But I, I, I want to report a few of it that caught my attention. Only 8% say their church is currently involved in serving refugees locally. But 86% says we could do something as a Christian. But only 8%. 40% of pastors acknowledge there is a sense of fear within their congregations regarding refugees. 57% of evangelical Christians and, and uh, this is interesting. 69 of them, 69% uh, of white evangelicals in particular, say that the arrival of immigrants to their community presents a threat or a burden of some sort, while only 42% say it, uh, say it rep represents opportunity to re introduce them to Jesus. We're going to uh, deal with some of these concerns, uh, hopefully, throughout this uh, message. And not only looking at the scripture, but some of the helpful things that I learned, not only through the book, but through the presentation as well. Just 12% of evangelical Christians say their views on the arrival of refugees and other immigrants are primarily informed by the Bible. Some of you have a strong opinions about this. Whether we should open the door, whether we should close the door and go America first. The question today as Christians who uphold the supreme authority of Scripture over our conduct and, and faith, the question is where did you get that idea? Have you listened to the scripture guidance? Let's do that. <clears throat> but before we go on, I looked up a legal definition 
international law and U.S. law, refugee is defined this way. Someone who has left the country and cannot return because of a well-founded fear of being persecuted based on race, religion, nationality, political opinion, or membership of a particular social group. When I was growing up, the Vietnamese boat people, refugees, were very prime example. Now, all over the world, because of Syrian crisis, we're facing that. Under this legal definition, below are not quite refugees. Internally displaced persons. These are people in their home country still. They couldn't get out. They are not yet refugees, legally. Asylum seekers. Asylum seekers, when their asylum is approved, they become legally protected refugees, but not yet quite unaccompanied minors, same, same reasons. And then uh, for those, many of us who came to states, or who are your parents or your grandparents came to states as my, in, economic migrants or uh, other legal immigration, land of opportunity. But they're not refugees. So what does the Bible say about foreigners and sojourners? In light of that, we could understand God's heart for the refugees better. Number one, Jesus himself was a refuge. Did you know that? Matthew chapter 2, verse 13 through 15. After the birth, and this was what was happening. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. Internally dis displaced family going to Egypt is a refugee family now. And remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child and destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. It's not only Jesus. Other godly men of God throughout the Bible. For example, Jacob fled his country because of Esau. Well, he's wrongdoing also too, but murderous attempt was there. Moses, as we know, left to Egypt and went into the Midian desert and wilderness. David, because of King Saul, we are in the middle of that story right now. He actually goes to Philistine country to escape from King Saul. And Elijah, after this mighty work of calling God's answer against the prophets, 400 prophets of Baal, he was scared to death. But Jezebel, he ran away. In the Old Testament, 
God has compassion for the refugees, sojourners, and commands us to love them as our neighbor. In other words, love your neighbor as ourself. That neighbor is including sojourners, refugees, people who are resident aliens among us. Deuteronomy 10, 17 through 19. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords and the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Leviticus 19.33-34 When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall, not do him, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. I couldn't, I was going to stop there, but I couldn't let go of this text. Leviticus 23, 22. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Why, Lord? Nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. Why, Lord? You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourners. I am the Lord your God. That's God's heart. Leave them intentionally so the poor and the sojourners can come eat. So Jesus, not only Jesus himself is a refugee and man of God throughout the scripture, and God has shown compassion. God's heart kindles with compassion for the refugees. He commands us, loves them. And thirdly, when we welcome, advocate, and serve refugees residing among us, we do so to Christ. Hebrews 13, 2, and there's a, a similar passage in Romans 12 as well. It says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unwares. For Orange County people, like you and me, hospitality, hospitality is being really good host when you have a dinner party. We are really hospitable. But stranger here is really strangers, foreigners, resident aliens, people who are stopping by. And you don't know them. You don't know their background. 
the biblical mandate is to not make a nectar. Did you know that one of the qualities for eldership to be a spiritual leader of a church is being hospitable. Once again, not a good entertainer for dinner parties. Someone who has an open heart to meet the needs of tired and vulnerable people. Proverbs 31, verse 8 through 8, 9. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. In other words, advocate for those people who cannot advocate for themselves. In Matthew 25, we just read it. When we welcome a stranger, a refuge, Jesus said, you have done it unto me. Here's the last one. Refugees among us offer us a missional opportunity. Do not misunderstand me. We could make them bait, good, material things, as a bait, and make them Christian, force them Christian. No. First, uh, First Peter three fifteen. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. When Muslim Refugees, like Amin and Sosan, I think I am really touched by the uh, transformation of their hearts. Our people, GNT, their hearts are so close to Amin and Sosan. In, in spite of cultural differences and difficulties in miscommunication and unexpected uh, kind of weird things about not liking pet dogs. Dogs are considered uh, dirty, unclean, ceremonially. And then Sosan not even able to look at men's eyes when she talks to you. And eating meals to separate table. All that is going on. But someone Maybe Amin and Sosan, or someone, your friends will ask, why do you do it? In a couple of weeks, we're going to have uh, Ho and Jenny share about safe families. They are volunteering. And then Jenny shared with us, some people asked, why do you do it? Why do you host this temporary Risk kid in your at risk kids in your in your house over the weekend. You have a couple of kids already. We could answer that. The hope that is within us. Matthew twenty eight, nineteen through twenties, often called Great Commission. If you are a Christ follower, Everyone 
has this great commission given by our Lord Jesus. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Like Boy and Cindy, we ought to go. Like Boy and like Bob and Grace, we ought to go to the unreached people group, to the remote areas of this earth, to preach the gospel, to share the love of God. But sometimes God brings those people to us. This is a missional opportunity to love them once again without forcing or shoving our faith into them and praying for them. I think it's what's happening to our churches because of local outreach ministries, our churches are becoming real. We answer God's question more honestly about our idols. Through the Ezekiel, we are exposed in many ways, aren't we? So let's go back to that book that I've been helped by. Once again, Matthew Sorens, the author of Seeking Refuge, in his presentation and in his book, I would highly recommend this book, by the way, deals with some, on, some common reservations. I picked about three that, oh, I, I'd like to know the answer. The first one is this. What if, question is, Refugees might actually be the terrorists infiltrating our country. This is the biggest one, right? In the, on, on the media all the time as well. And this is why the evangelical churches have fear about letting any, uh, especially from Middle East, refugees to come, resettle here. The reality is refugees admitted to the U.S., undergo a screening process that generally 18 to 3 years. Amin and Sonsan told us they went through 3 years. So I thought just a few months ago they got accepted and come 3 years. That involves also U.S. Departments of Homeland Security, State Defense, as well as FBI and National Counterterrorism Center. It also includes multiple in-person interviews and biometric background checks. And more thorough than screening to which any of the other 70 million visitors to the U.S. are subjected. And it's comforting, really good to know that with more than 3 million refugees admitted, through the U.S. Refugee Resettlement Program since the late 1970s, and zero have successfully perpetrated an act of terrorism in the U.S. It's a mirage. It's, it's a myth. Second common reservation, these people were here. Illegally. Reality is anyone who resettled to the U.S. as a refugee has work authorization and indefinite legal status from the day they arrive. 
you know, what our GND people did in the to-do list is take them to the Social Security office to get them Social Security number so that they start working day one. And now they have Social Security numbers, and now Amin has a job. What a wonderful. Once again, God is using them to open our eyes to God's heart. Think about this. But even biblical mandate to love and welcome the foreigners are not limited to documented aliens, immigrants, or refugees. In other words, including quote-unquote illegal immigrants. There are many of them in the west side of Five Freeway in Santa Ana. I think it was a Rick Warren who kind of mentioned that interview in U.S. Uh, news and report and said, uh, when Good Samaritan came and looking at the man who was just robbed, almost half dead, he didn't, before he asked, he helped, he didn't ask, are you legal or illegal? <coughs> I'm not advocating open door for no more, nothing, not, not, I mean, no legal process of immigration. Well, what the Bible says is every human being has an image of God. We are to love our neighbor as ourselves. Since when American churches become so self-absorbed? God help us. And it's, it's comforting once again to know World Relief and other evangelical leaders have called for reforms, which many of them, according to survey, 86% of the evangelical church actually are for that. Oh, this sounds good. Make it harder to immigrate unlawfully. Make it easier to immigrate lawfully. Establish a process by which those are unlawfully now could earn permanent legal status if they are willing to pay a fine and meet other requirements. One more. Admitting refugees creates a drain on the economy. They're going to take our jobs and take our money. The reality is economists almost universally agree that immigrants have not be, been a burden or a drain. They actually have a net positive impact on the U.S. economy. While less research focuses specifically on the refugees, one study from University of Texas finds that long-term, those resettled as refugees actually fare better than other immigrants to the U.S. While there is a short-term fiscal cost to refugees resettlement, in the long-term, refugees contribute more in taxes than they receive in services and benefits. So thank God that our church heart was stirred, has been stirred by God. Did you see the list of things that donated? Their, their apartment is already full. And there's even minivan 
And some guys who are uh, mechanic, I mean, want to be mechanics, they're working on the minivan. Almost done? Where's Sam? Almost done? How wonderful. And our, actually, our family donated, uh, you know, Crossway family, a family donated minivan. Refugees are about twice as likely as native-born U.S. citizens to start a small business, creating more jobs. So I want to go back to the marginalized in general. The defenseless, the vulnerable, the people are least invisible in our society. How then can we be God's sent people for the marginalized? Number one, we are to reach out to the marginalized with God's compassion and love. I admit, I'm a perfectionist, so whenever I cannot handle the problem fully, I tend to say, I don't want to do it halfway. And it, it could be pure excuse and rationalization. Listen to this. There is social action and social service. Social action goes for the root of the problem of the society, especially the systematic injustice. You need to go at the root. But Jesus said, give them drink when they're thirsty. It's called social service. There's something that we could do, obviously, the baby step we could do. April 1st, you can come out for two, three hours of just having conversations with homeless people. Smell some alcohol. Get real with life. There's whole lot of different world out there in this west side of Five Freeway. Let's not worry about what we cannot do because God is actually ultimately working sovereignly there. Number two, we are to be good neighbors, not only GNT only. We are to be good neighbors to the marginalized by prayer, Advocacy, giving, serving locally, the missions fund. This year, I think one of the key needs is outreach, local outreach. And serving locally. The reason why serving locally is important, on, if we don't do hands-on serving, we become savvy, Facebook, or the Instagram, and people who just opinionate a lot of this post of theoretical, conceptual, intellectual, fashionable. I could go on and on. Number three, we are to care for the whole being of the marginalized in reaching out to them in Jesus' name. Better than what I can say, 
one of the most impactful readings I've done. My book mentor, once again, I've tried to be careful because quoting John Stott too many times, you guys might think that John Stott is some kind of a pope in our church. No, because he's, he's, he's thinking is so biblical-centered, God-centered. And this is what he writes. For these human but God-like creatures are not just souls that we should be concerned exclusively for their eternal salvation, nor just bodies that we should care only for their food, clothing, shelter, and health, nor just social beings that we should become entirely preoccupied with their community problems. They are all three. But that is how God has made us. A human being might be defined from a biblical perspective as a body, soul in a community. Therefore, if we truly love our neighbors and because of their worth desire to serve them, we shall be concerned for their total welfare, the well-being of their soul, their body, and their community. And our concern will lead to practical programs of evangelism, relief, and development. We shall not just prattle and plan and pray like the country vicar, vicar is like a pastor in Anglican church, to whom a homeless woman turned for help and who doubtless sincerely and because he was busy and felt helpless, promised to pray for her. She later wrote this poem and handed, handed it to a regional officer of shelter. I was hungry, and you formed a humanities group to discuss my hunger. I was imprisoned, and you crept off quietly to your chapel and prayed for my release. I was naked, and in your mind you debated the morality of my appearance. I was sick, and you knelt and thanked God for your health. I was homeless, and you preached to me of the spiritual shelter of the love of God. I was lonely, and you left me alone to pray for me. You seem so holy, so close to God, but I am still very hungry and lonely and cold. My prayer for us this month not just this missions month, but the rest of our 2017. That God's compassion will rekindle our hearts to feel the pain that God is feeling. To be full and rich of God's immeasurable love without any strings attached, and no one might be recognizing 
you or me behind the scenes. But God sees us. And through that, we will be transformed. We will be humble, tender-hearted, spiritually poor, who, like tax collector, beating his breast and calls, have mercy, mercy on me, a sinner. Self-entitlement. We're going away. May God help us. Let's pray. Father, uh, through daily quiet time passages, in Ezekiel, we have heard your, your heart calling us to return. And your holy wrath is kindled because of injustice, because of our faithlessness. Would you teach us to see, uh, have a glimpse of our heart, your heart, to grasp your compassion, and we pray that you will change us, change our church. Help us be a follower of Jesus Christ who has a compassion for the marginalized. In the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.